Awesome. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Awesome. How many of you guys' faith is being built in this series? I know mine is. We're in week three of this Running with the Giants series. And how many people know God has a big plan for you and for your family? And it's going to take faith in him to see the fullness of it. God has a big plan for us here collectively as alive. And it's going to take big faith for us to walk in it. We're in this series called Running with the Giants. We're taking a look at the giants of our faith and seeing what we can learn from them and their faith. And we're taking a lap with them. We're taking a run with them. And I don't know if you've ever ran before or ran with people before, but it's a whole lot more fun to talk to people when you run. Anybody that kind of a runner? I think most girl runners are the kind that's like, let's talk. If we're going to run, let's talk the whole time. And maybe the guys are more like, no, let's listen to music or let's zone out or whatever. But um, about six years ago, I ran a half marathon in Grand Rapids. And at the time, Eric and I were... uh, uh, directors of a discipleship program, and so I ran with three or like five other ladies who were in the discipleship program. They were students at the time. They've since become friends, and so we'd wake up every Saturday morning and go for long runs, and we'd talk, 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 talk the whole time, and that was what made it so fun, but then like when the race came, like you train up until like 10 miles, but then the race comes, and you have to run actually like 13 miles. And so when the race came and it hit mile 10 and then mile 11 and then mile 13, it was more breathing was a priority than the talking. And so we were still talking, but it was more like every five minutes, it was like, we're doing this. Let's finish. You're doing great. And that was so worth it, and that made all the difference, and that's a bit of what's happening in this series. Maybe you feel like you're on mile 10 in life. Maybe you feel like you're in mile 11. Maybe you've been running with the Lord for a while, and you just need someone to come run alongside you and say, you're doing great. Every couple minutes say, you're almost there. Every couple minutes say, breakthrough is right around the corner. And I hope that's what you feel. I hope your faith is being built. Our faith is being built as we're preparing for these messages. That, man, God is good and God is faithful and he always has been. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of it. The foundational scripture for this series is found in Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 2. We're reading from the New Living Translation. It says this. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge huge crowd of witnesses in this life of faith, it's referring to what was mentioned in the chapter before, this list of the giants of our faith, of how they believed God and God was faithful for them. Since all of these people have gone before us and God has been faithful to them and they're cheering us on in heaven, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. And God, we come with expectation to hear from your word. Lord, we know that as we hear your word, faith rises. And so, Lord, as we hear your word, we pray that our faith would rise. God, we thank you. We trust that you are good, that you have good plans for our life. We lean fully into you and all that you have. We come with expectation to hear a word, a specific rhema word for us, each and every one of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So week, uh, week one of this series, Pastor Eric shared on the life of Noah. And Noah was a pace setter. We ta- he talked about the importance of integrity. He talked about the importance of doing things exactly the way God said to do it. And Noah talked to us about how salvation is the reward of our faith. And then last week, we took a look at Isaac, the son of Abraham. And Isaac taught us to trust God even when we don't understand. Isaac taught us that just because God promised it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. And Isaac taught us that God is a rewarder. And so as Isaac left last week, he tagged his son, Jacob. And today we're going to take a run with Jacob. We're going to take a look at Jacob's life and his life of faith and what we can learn from him. Some of you guys might be like, remind me again, what's Jacob's story? Let me give you a brief overview of his life, and then we're going to dial into a couple specific moments in his life. So Jacob is Abraham's grandson, which means he's Isaac's son. Isaac had two sons. They were twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was actually the second-born twin, On his way out, he had his hand on the heel of his brother Esau. And as I, you know, was reading, there's numerous chapters in Genesis that Jacob's life sprawls across. And numerous times throughout his life, the word deceive is used um, or cheated. Um, And so early on, Jacob deceived his brother because he wanted the birthright. Back in those days, to be the firstborn came with extra special blessings on it. And so he traded Esau's birthright for a bowl of soup. He said, oh, look at this good soup. And Esau's like, I want it. And Jacob's like, give me your birthright. And so he gave him his birthright. And we're like, what? It doesn't make sense. But he must have been really hungry. Um, So he cheated his brother in that. And then at the end of his dad, Isaac's life, at the very end of his life, it was tradition for the father to bestow a blessing on his children. And at at that time, Um, Isaac couldn't see very well. And so Isaac or Jacob tricked his dad to speak the firstborn blessing over him instead of his brother Esau. And so early on in Jacob's life, we see this pattern of deception and lying and cheating. And you can imagine at that point, Esau's furious And so uh, Rebecca, Jacob's mom, says, hey, I think you need to flee and get out of here. Otherwise, your brother's going to kill you because you've betrayed him so many times. And so he leaves to go to his mom's brother's family's place of dwelling, Haran, to find a wife for himself. And he ends up living there for 20 years. For 20 years, Esau is with his dad in the promised land, and he's over here in Haran. Um while his brother's anger simmers. And he's meeting his wife. So he, he goes to Haran. He falls in love with Rachel. So he works in Rachel's dad's field and Laban's field for seven years to earn Rachel's hand in marriage. And then you see this deceive word again. He, he reaped what he sowed, and his father-in-law cheated him. And he ended up having to marry the younger sister first. And so he married Leah, but then he got to marry Rachel. And then he's on his, and then finally he decides to come back and face his brother. And, um, and I think that's where I'll stop the story because we're going to talk a lot about what happens there. But I'll kind of give you broad strokes. So he comes back, 
the relationship between him and Esau is restored. He has 12 sons. God changes his name from Jacob to Israel, um, and his sons are the 12 tribes of Israel, if you're familiar with that. Then at the end of his life, he dwelt most of his adult life in the promised land. At the end of his life, there was a severe famine that brought him and all of his sons and all of his family to Egypt, where his son Joseph had favor with the Pharaoh. And that's kind of where his life ends. But we're going to dive in deep to a couple of things. And so we're taking a run with Jacob this morning. And... Um, Oh, one thing I did want to say. So when Jacob is mentioned in Hebrews 11, this is what's said of Jacob in Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. These are sons that he hadn't known for a long time because they were raised in Egypt. And, and Jacob worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. So this is an interesting scripture. This is how Jacob is referenced to in his faith. That at the end of his life, go ahead and keep that scripture up there. He blessed the next generation and he worshiped while he leaned on his staff. And I just want to pause for a minute because this so beautifully shows Jacob's life. Jacob did not have um, an easy life in the way that we can say, oh, Noah was a man of integrity and he did everything God said. And oh, Isaac had crazy faith at the top of that mountain. Jacob did not lead a perfect life, and at the end of his life, he's leaning against the staff, representing <clears throat> he has a wearied body and a wearied soul, but yet at the end of his life, he did not stop believing. He's leaning on his staff, and it has been quite a journey, and it's been a hard journey, and he hasn't been perfect along the way, but at the end of his life, he chooses to still worship the Lord, and he chooses to still pass on the blessing to the next generation. So here we are striding with Jacob, and while Noah was a pace setter, and while Isaac was a pace setter, as we're running with Jacob, Jacob might quite literally have a limp. When he wrestled with the Lord, God touched his hip, and he had a limp after that. That could have been the reason he was leaning on the staff as a reference back to that time that he wrestled with God. And so we're running with Jacob, and it's a different pace. It's a different cadence than when we were running with um, Noah and Isaac before. He's got a limp. Life has been a little rough to him. And as we're running with him, he probably is recalling early in his life. And he probably says something like this. God can use you even with your imperfections. God can use you even with your imperfections. Like I said earlier, we can't say the same things about Jacob as we can um, Noah and Isaac. He led a, especially the beginning of his life, he made some choices that were very imperfect. Um, you read what Bible scholars say about him, and they say early on in his life, it seems like he frequently chose a path of fleshly and carnal decisions. Yet here's the point this morning. God still chose him, and God still used him. Some of you this morning, as I'm saying this, your head is tilting, and you don't like this point. Others of you this morning, as I say this, you're breathing a deep sigh of relief, like, ah, 
maybe God can use me too. When Jacob's brother Esau saw that uh, Jacob had stolen his blessing, he was furious. And he was demanding, Father, Isaac, you must have a blessing for me too. And this is what Esau says about his brother Jacob. In Genesis 27, 36, Esau exclaims, No wonder his name is Jacob, which means deceiver, supplanter. For he has now cheated me twice. First he took my rights as firstborn, and now he's stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved one blessing for me? He cries out to his dad. Esau was fully aware of Jacob's imperfections. But we see throughout scripture that Jacob was fully aware of his own imperfections also. Like I mentioned earlier, after this moment that we just heard what Esau said, Jacob ran and fled for 20 years to escape his brother's anger at the command of his mom. And on his way to Haran, God corners him and says to him, as he's leaving the promised land, he, God corners him and says, I want you to know I'm going to bring you back to this land. This land is yours. And so after spending 20 years in Haran and raising his family and getting married, he starts heading back to the promised land. And he remembers this promise that God has spoken over his life that he would return back here and this land is his. But he is overwhelmed with these burdens in his life. And this is what Jacob prays to the Lord in that moment. Genesis 32, 10 through 11. Jacob says, I'm not worthy of the least of all of the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother of my children, and, and, and the mother with the children. So Jacob was not perfect, and he stood face to face with his imperfection in this moment as he's about to be brought back into the land. As we're running with Jacob this morning, I can imagine him pausing and looking at us in the face, maybe even holding us by his hands and looking at us in the face and saying, I don't know what you have done. I don't know what has been done to you, but God can still use you. This morning, I don't know, Jacob is saying, I don't know what shame or what lie about yourself that you have been believing up until this point, but God still wants to use you. God still has a plan for your life. I don't know what guilt or insecurity is swirling around in your mind this morning, but God still wants to use you, and God still has a plan for you. Jacob says, look at me. If God can bring his promise through this man who has a pattern of deception and lying, God can bring his promise through you. Jacob this morning says, look at the lineage of Jesus. If God is okay with Rahab, a prostitute, being in the bloodline of Jesus, God can use your bloodline too. 
Jacob says, look at the Apostle Paul. If God can promote someone and have someone write the good majority of the New Testament who previously celebrated and helped facilitate the killing of Christians, God can promote and use you too. Jacob says, look at Mary Magdalene. If God can use a woman who he casted out seven demons to be the first voice of the resurrection, the first person to to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus, he can use your voice to bring the good news to this world too. I don't know what you've done or or what, what has been done to you like this list of murders and prostitution and deception and leading and demonic things, nothing is too bad for our God to transform. God can and will use you despite your imperfections or the things that have happened to you or that you have done. And maybe I'm not talking to you this morning. But maybe I'm talking to someone that you are refusing to forgive. Maybe I'm talking about someone that you're refusing to believe the best in. Maybe I'm talking about someone that you're refusing to promote because of what they've done in the past. Maybe the person that God is choosing to use, you don't like. God can use them too. Here's what we believe around here. There's no such thing as a perfect person. You see the big sign out front, no perfect people allowed here. We all have issues. We all have mess ups. We believe that everybody is a somebody. You have purpose. God created you on reason. God can use you despite your imperfections and your flaws. God uses imperfect people just like Jacob. And I will say this. Jacob didn't stay a liar. Jacob didn't stay a deceiver. There was a moment of transformation in his life. There are consequences to sin. You know, Mary Magdalene did not keep her seven demons. Paul did not continue to kill the Christians. Um, Who else did I say? Um, Yeah, Rahab did not continue to be a prostitute. But God redeemed those situations, and they brought those imperfections to Jesus and said, Jesus, transform me, and he did. So there was a time in Jacob's life that he came face-to-face with God, and he wrestled with God. He brought his imperfections, he brought his anxieties to God, and he met God face-to-face, and he wrestled with him. And so as we're running, Jacob says this. He says, hey, God can use you despite your imperfections. And probably the next thing that he would say is if you, you haven't really prayed until you have wrestled. You haven't really prayed until you have wrestled. I like wrestling with my boys until recently. <laughs> Eli's about seven, and I used to always win, and now he's getting really strong. And so I don't wrestle with him as frequently anymore. But Jacob wrestled with God. There's this moment, Jacob's coming back from Haran, and he has this moment alone. 
and he's about to meet his brother that he hasn't seen in 20 years, and he's being reminded of the reason that he hasn't seen his brother in 20 years because of all of his imperfections. And he has put part of his family to this side and part of his family to this side as strategy that if Esau does choose to attack him, he won't wipe out his whole family because he can only get one side of the family depending on which direction he attacks from. And, and um, Jacob is shaken in his boots. He's nervous. He's alone. And in that moment, he literally wrestles with God. Let's take a look at the story in Genesis 32, 24 through 30. It says this, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man with a capital M wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Most people, most, most Bible scholars believe that this was probably Jesus. This probably was literally God. But there's scriptures that also make it sound like maybe it was an angel. But let's read it and see what we see. And a man, capital M, wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And when he, capital H, saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, talking about Jacob's hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he, capital H, said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he, capital H, said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and men and have prevailed. Other translations say that phrase, for your name will be, um, your name will be Israel because you are a prince with the power of God. And Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called this place um, Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. You've never wrestled in prayer. You haven't really prayed. In this scripture, we see Jacob distraught. We see God in the flesh literally wrestling with him. And, God, and Jacob wrestled with God. I can say in my own life with so much confidence that the biggest testimonies in my life, the most miraculous things that God has done in my life, has come out of a season of deep wrestling in prayer. This tension between, God, I see this in your word, but I'm not seeing it in my reality, and I'm not going to leave until I see your blessing in my life. Jacob wrestled with God. Why is that? If you're going to have big faith, big giant kind of faith, you're going to have to wrestle in prayer. Maybe it looks like this. God, I know your word says that you desire all people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But why is my child not saved yet? Why is, are my parents not saved yet? Why is my best friend not saved yet? I have this tension of what I see in your word and what I'm experiencing in my life. And so I'm, I, I, I believe your word so much, and I have faith so much, and this tension is so great that I'm not just going to become apathetic about it. I'm not just going to say, oh, well, I guess God doesn't want to save my family. But God, I'm going to wrestle with you, 
And I'm going to remind you of your promises. And I'm going to live in that tension. At the end there, Jacob says, don't leave until you bless me. I, I see that in the purest form. I see that as an act of faith where he says, God, you told me that you would bless me, so bless me. And I'm holding on to faith. Maybe for you, you see in the word that God says he's going to supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. But in the natural, you're living in lack. And there's this great tension. So when you go to prayer, it feels like wrestling because you're like, God, I see this in your word, but I'm not experiencing it. So God, give me wisdom and give me favor. And where am I missing it? In the natural and in the supernatural. Maybe you're like, God, I see in your word that you have made me a new creation in Christ, but why are all of these patterns and sins of my past still clinging on to me? So you wrestle in prayer like Jacob did. And you say, I don't like this past, and so God, make me that new creation that you say, and you promise that, that you're going to make me. And God will give you a new name, just like he gave Jacob a new name. Maybe, you, maybe God has spoken a rhema word to you and you have this sense because of something you've seen in the word or something that the Holy Spirit has revealed to you that God's calling you to in the future and you feel this great tension of it's not happening yet, but you know that it's in the future and so you wrestle with God because the only other alternative is to become apathetic and unpassionate in prayer, and just like, God, I guess whatever happens will happen, and I'm just gonna, if, you know, if it happens, then it must have been your will, instead of wrestling and contending with God in prayer, putting God in remembrance of his promises. You wrestle about the things that you care about. The heartfelt, fervent, passionate prayer of a righteous person avails much. You pray about, you, you wrestle in prayer about things that you really care about. You wrestle about things that you believe deeply. You wrestle about things because your faith is precious to you. Sometimes these seasons of wrestling with God come out of a trial or are because of a trial. And I love this scripture in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. It says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold. I see in this story Jacob's faith being more precious than gold. And he's like, God, I'm not giving up until I see your hand on my life. I'm not giving up until I see your word come to pass because my faith is more precious than gold. I'm not going to let this trial bump my faith. Because your faith being more precious than gold that perishes, though through the testing of fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus. Because our faith is precious, we're not casually going to give up on prayers. Because our faith is precious, we're not going to apathetically approach the promises of God. We're going to wrestle and live in the tension until, like Jacob said, God, I'm not letting go until you bless me. I'm not letting go until I see this word of God come to pass in my life, whatever that might be. 
we see this same wrestling and prayer language used in the New Testament too, in the book of Colossians. Colossians 4, um, verse 12. There's a person named Epaphras, and it says, Who is one of you, a servant of Christ, sends greetings. He always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. How many of you guys would be happy if you heard that someone was wrestling in prayer for you? Amen. He was wrestling in prayer. He saw so much in these people's life that he wasn't satisfied until he saw it come to fruition in their life. He was wrestling in prayer. Jacob's life teaches us that there's a faith that wrestles with God. Jacob is saying this morning, get more passionate in your prayer life. Jacob is saying this morning, don't give up on the promises of God so easily. Jacob is saying this morning, get some fight in your prayer life and don't let go until God blesses you. As we close out our lap with Jacob, I'm sure he'd leave us with this truth also. God provides even in a pandemic. If we were running with Jacob, I can picture him saying, yo, bro, cool it about COVID. Like pandemics and famines and things like this have been around for a long time. My dad, Isaac, lived through a famine. I, Jacob, lived through a severe famine. And you know what? Famines and pandemics, they don't change who God is. And they don't change what God does. Jacob would probably say, remember back to Isaac's life that we talked about last week. Uh, Isaac lived in the middle of a, of a pandemic or a, a famine, and God told him, stay in the land and sow in the land. And, and Isaac did that, and God blessed his life a hundredfold. The seed that was sowed um, grew a harvest a hundredfold. There was another severe famine in Jacob's um, life also. And God already planned ahead to provide provision for his family. One of his sons, one of Jacob's sons, is named Joseph. Eric's going to talk about him next week. And what seemed like a horrible thing to happen in Joseph's life of him being sold into slavery, God used to plant him in the house of the Pharaoh, access to all of the Pharaoh's provision at the time when his family needed it the most. God provides for his people always. And pandemics don't change that. Let's check out the scripture. In the midst of a severe famine in Egypt, at the end of Jacob's life, they leave the promised land and go to Egypt because there's provision there. God has set up provision through his son, Joseph. And we see in Genesis 47, 11 through 12, and Joseph situated his, his father and his brothers and gave them possession of land in Egypt. Not just any land, but the best of the land. It's the middle of a severe pandemic. It's the middle of a severe famine. And God gives um, Jacob and his family the best land. In the land of Ramses, as the Pharaoh has commanded, then Joseph provided his father and his brothers with all his father's household with bread according to the number of their families. So in the midst of a famine, God provided abundantly. They had the best of the best in Egypt. They had full access to all of the resources within the Pharaoh's house in the middle of a pandemic. 
So let me speak to you plainly this morning. I think Jacob would be saying this this morning. Maybe you're concerned about inflation. Maybe your groceries are a little bit more than they used to be. Maybe you're concerned about how these mandates might impact your employment. Maybe you're concerned about where the stock market is headed. In the midst of a pandemic, God always provides. Maybe you think you shouldn't expect that promotion or shouldn't expect the breakthrough or shouldn't expect the best land in the middle of a pandemic. God's character and his ability doesn't change based on what's happening in the world. Guys, think about our church. When the pandemic started, we were set up teardown in a middle school. It smelled like fries and stinky feet and chicken nuggets. We're coming out of the pandemic, hopefully in Jesus' name, and we're talking about putting in an offer on a 400-seat auditorium with nine acres, and God can still give you the best land even in the middle of a pandemic. I believe he's doing that for us as a church family, and I believe that he's doing that for you. Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God turned around for good. So maybe something happens in your area of unemployment or something happens that you weren't expecting and you, I want to encourage you, don't blame it on the pandemic because God is good at turning all things around for the good. You know, there's 31 Sundays that we were online <laughs> and it's like, what's going on? But God used that to turn it around for good, that now we have a permanent place and no setup and tear down and potentially buying one permanently to own. God's character and his ability doesn't change in the midst of a pandemic. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who always provides. Famines and pandemics don't get in the way of that. So man, Jacob's life is heavy, right? Jacob's life isn't all flower and roses, but he teaches us a lot of things this morning. That we don't have to have a perfect past for God to use us. He teaches us that, man, God uses broken people. Jacob teaches us to get a whole bunch more passionate in our prayer. Wrestle with God in faith. God, I see this promise in your word and I'm not letting go. I'm not giving up apathetically until I see it come to pass in my life. And Jacob is reminding us this morning that in the midst of a pandemic, God does not change. He is the God who always provides. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. And God, we thank you for your faithfulness in our life. God, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you caused a hundredfold blessing in Isaac's life, and if you gave Jacob the best of the land in Egypt in the midst of a pandemic, you can do that for us too. God, you chose to use Jacob, even though in the midst of his blessing from his father, he was lying. You can use us too. God, you're not intimidated by us approaching you boldly to the point of wrestling because of faith in your word. God, grow us up. Help us have that passionate kind of faith that believes you regardless. God, I thank you for your blessing and your provision on everyone here in person and everyone online. 
God, I thank you that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. I thank you for health and healing to reign in bodies. And I, I thank you, God, what the enemy meant for evil, you're going to turn around for so much good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys encouraged by Jacob? Wow, wow. Well, hey, we always want to close, giving an opportunity for us to take next steps with Jesus. Maybe you're here and you, you have a relationship with Jesus, but you're not really passionately following him. You're not wrestling with him in a faith-filled way. I want to encourage you, let's take a next step to rededicate our life to the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never had a personal relationship with Jesus and you thought your past and your history was too much, too much baggage for God to do anything with. He can use you too. So at the close of every service, we, we say a prayer that puts Jesus at the center of our life. If you've prayed this prayer before, let's pray it together as a church family, recommitting ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've never prayed this prayer, we want to invite you to make a decision today to say, you know what, I'm not going to be caught up by my guilt and condemnation, but I'm going to receive the new life that I can have in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Today, I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that he died on that cross for me and I receive his forgiveness. I receive his freedom. I receive his love and I place him as the Lord of my life, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To further connect with us at Alive, visit us at alivefamily.church. And remember, people matter and Jesus is alive.